time now to say hello to Terry Flanagan, who's at his home in Dublin 15, and he's gone out looking for bats again. Terry, you're obsessed with bats. Yeah, you can say that all right, Terry. I can tell you, winter's upon us, because all those dark nights, the lots of rain, and we had the first touch of frost over the weekend. And that all means that our bats are well and truly tucked up nice and warm mm-hmm. in hibernation for the winter. People may not realise it, but bats are very common in Ireland and quite a lot of research on bats is undertaken here. But what do bat biologists do during the winter when there are no bats about to study? That's something I wondered about and I recently travelled to Slane in County Meath to meet up with Dr Neve Roach from Bat Conservation Ireland to find out more about the biology of bats and also what research she will be doing over the next few months. Now, Terry, will you go outside and I'll show you where my bats are likely to be? Okay. Hardly be here at this time of the year, I don't think, but... Well, they probably won't be active. Yeah. So we're moved out into the backyard. God, you don't have to go far from your home to your workplace, do you? Uh, No, I don't. (laughs) Uh, There's plenty of bats around here, you know, because we have good habitat for them. You know, there's uh, plenty of tree lines and... Plenty of woodland. Bits of woodland and and farmland good hedgerow connectivity around the place so now this yeah. time of the year the bats they'll be hibernating now mm-hmm. we'll come to hibernation in a moment i know we've done a fair bit on that when we did our nature nights but tell me a little bit about the biology of the bat they're mammals so that means that they give birth to live young and they feed their babies milk and they're generally warm-blooded like ourselves um, it's, it's very uncommon too in the sense that we, we think of them as being quite rare but a quarter of all Irish mammal species are actually bats yeah we, we, there's a good diversity of bats in Ireland yeah there's mm. nine species so it's quite a quite a sizable amount of the kind of diversity of mammals in Ireland are and, and they, bats they don't look like the normal mammal first of all they can fly and secondly well a lot of people would say they look quite ugly well I'd have to disagree with them there, of course. (laughs) I'm quite fond of a bat myself. Their wings do look quite like a human hand, actually, because, uh, you know, they have basically got wings uh, that basically are like a human hand and arm. And except for the digits, the fingers, they're really stretched out and there's skin between them. And there's Mm. also skin between the arm of the bat and its little finger, if you imagine, and the whole body of the bat. So that forms the wing membrane. The um, wing is really formed from the hand, whereas yeah. in the bird, the wing is formed from the whole arm, so to speak. Yes, yes, exactly. And so, yeah, the order that bats are in is called chiroptera, and that actually means hand wing, <laughs> because it reflects, you know, exactly how a bat's wing looks very like a, a human hand and arm. What people think of when they think of the bats most commonly is this echolocation. I've mm. often heard it referred to as being... Bats being able to see with their ears and able to do it in 3D. Is that yeah. a good description? Of That's a very good description. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no such thing as a blind bat. Mm. All bats can see and they can. Some of them can see quite well in dim light, but they do tend to use echolocation. And that is their main mode of getting from A to B and avoiding all the obstacles like tree branches and leaves. Mm. So they make these high pitched squeaks. And then they listen for the echoes that bounce so, off. So they send them out yes, and hope for them to bounce off something to come back. Yes, and then they can tell how far away something is, what size it is. They might even be able to tell things like texture, all sorts of things uh, based on their echolocation. Uh, yeah, but that's fine if, if it's a wall or something like that. But mm-hmm. they also use it to catch prey. 
Yes, yes, yeah. Then so they... The prey would be something like a moth. Yep. But as they send this sound yeah. out and it bounces off the moth, the moth is also moving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's how, a, does, it's, how does the bat compensate for that? Well, it's a very refined system. So um, when bats are actually flying around and looking for insects and avoiding obstacles, they're making sounds about maybe six to 16 little squeaking sounds every second. Right. And then when they're actually when they see a, a moth, maybe or some kind of insect that they want to eat, They'll actually be making pulses, maybe 50 to 200 pulses per second in order to be able to, you know, zone in and catch that insect. And they must be very successful at this. Extremely successful. I mean, you know, they're they're long lived animals, too, Mm. you know, so they, you know, they can live maybe 10 years. The most long lived bat that's ever been found is over 41 years old. So. Yeah, very unusual. I, I, well, I, the reason why I was thinking they must be successful because the figure that's often bandied about is that they take about 3,000 midge or mosquitoes per night. Yes, yeah. I mean, they, they would probably eat their own body weight anyway in, in insects. So, mm. you know, they're, so long as the insects are there and available for them, they'll, yeah, they will certainly consume them. So they must have a very high body metabolism then. Yes, because it's a very energetically expensive thing to do to be flying mm. t- as a warm-blooded mammal. And also even echolocation itself is quite a high energy kind of high cost activity. Uh, so they kind of compensate for that a little bit because when they're flying, they'll actually make a squeak as they're exhaling. So it's kind of on the upstroke of their wing beat. So normally their echolocations come with each wing beat. So as we said earlier, they're now in hibernation. When bats go into hibernation, do the different species go to different places? The big problem in Ireland is we don't know a whole lot about where bats go to hibernate. So in other parts of Europe and even in Britain, if you go into a cave system, you'd probably come across lots of different species of bat hibernating, maybe in, you know, large numbers at times. Here... We really only have one bat species that we get hibernating, obviously, in caves and cellars, and that's called the lesser horseshoe bat, and it's found over the west of Ireland only. In the autumn time, you might get a lot of activity around some caves. It's called swarming, and it seems to be to do with mating. So some bat species, uh, Natterer's bat, Dobenton's bat, would be found swarming at caves, and we kind of assume that they mate and probably hibernate there, but it's in crevices Mm. And we can't see them now. So the common species, we really don't know a whole lot about where they go. So I suspect that we have pipistrelles hibernating in my roof space, actually, right right beside us. (laughs) The reason I suspect that is because in, in October, a couple of years ago, we had a little bat visit us down in our stove in our sitting room. And after I'd given him a little bit of water and made sure he was okay, released him that dusk. And actually here where we're standing now Mm -hmm. and he was hale and hearty, absolutely fine. And he flew straight up to our roof. Uh, And I'll just shine the torch and show you now because it's dark, Terry, so you probably can't see it otherwise. So you can see there's lead flashing around the the chimney of my roof. And so he actually crawled in and you wouldn't even see that there's a space there. But they don't make a space now with their teeth. They don't chew their way in. There must have been a tiny crevice. Because Uh, they can get into absolutely tiny crevices. Tiny crevices, yeah. But not by chewing their way in because they don't have the right teeth. Just an opening. Just once an opening is there, Mm. they can use it. But it it only needs to be like one centimetre by two centimetres in size for a little pipistrelle to get in. So he went in there into the lead flashing. So perhaps it's between the slates and the insulation 
And, you know, maybe that was more of a transitional roost, which would be used kind of between kind of the main summer period and the winter hibernation. Or maybe they're actually hibernating in there. It's sufficiently cool for them. Yeah. Um, Do you think, do they hibernate and roost in the same location? Generally speaking, we don't think so. What they're looking for in the summertime is warmth, usually. They're looking for a place, especially the females, they're looking for a place that stays really warm and it increases the chances of their baby surviving. So they're looking for warmth. What they're looking for in the wintertime is different because they don't want to be using energy. They want to go, they want all of their body processes to slow right down Mm. and they want to be cool because that helps them save energy for the long winter uh, when there's not much to eat. So in the winter, when they're in their hibernation site, is it a case then that it may become too hot or too cold for them? What they're doing is they're probably trying to find a place that is just right. You know, it's like a Goldilocks kind of situation. So they want somewhere that's not too cold, not too warm. They may go deep into tree crevices. And then if the weather is does get very cold, they may go somewhere else where the temperature is more stable, maybe more in crevices in ruins or something like that or underground sites underground sites they're used an awful lot in other countries because they stay at such a constant temperature yeah you know do they wake up or have you ever come across a a bat in the middle of winter yeah 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 people will actually we you know we often get you know people getting in touch with us saying i saw a bat you know when it was the middle of winter usually it's um you know the weather takes it a warmer turn uh, and so they come out possibly it's to drink because one of the kind of things that they probably run out of or become or you know is problematic for hibernation is becoming dehydrated so they may come out to drink but they may also come out for a little feed because if the weather takes a warmer spell uh, you might get a few insects flying around Mm. what initiates hibernation in the first place is it is it the cold or is it a lack of insects well it's Probably some combination of the two. Mm. You know, they're probably taking their cue from the temperature, but also when the temperature goes down, you also get fewer flying insects. So there's less available. And do they ever run out of, of energy during hibernation? Yes, it definitely is a risk. I mean, especially for youngsters in their first year, there would be quite a high fatality rate, mm. we think. At the end of the summer, they're all basically trying to eat as much as possible to build up the body fat that they can then slowly burn over the winter and survive until the weather warms up again in the springtime. But, you know, if they keep waking up, if there's a lot of warm spells or if they get a lot of disturbed a lot, they do use up more energy waking up and becoming active. And, you know, there's a risk that they won't survive the winter. And and what about their metabolism? How does that change while they're hibernating? Earlier on there, I mentioned that, you know, it's a very high uh, energy cost uh, flight and echolocation. So normally they have a very fast metabolic rate. In the wintertime, then that slows right down. So if you see a bat in hibernation, to all intents and purposes, it looks like it's dead. And it actually, if you touched it, it would feel cold. Because even though they're warm blooded, basically they let their body temperature drop right down to the same as the sort of ambient air. Their blood is only pumping around the vital organs. And at that, it's only pumping a few times a minute. They're hardly breathing at all. And actually, if you saw a bat in hibernation in a damp place like a cave or something, you might it looks kind of silvery sometimes because it's covered in condensation because it's so still. Mm. And so basically the whole idea, a whole point of this is to not have to use use energy in this time of year when there's very little to eat and then what wakes them up 
So it's probably these slight changes in temperature. And then what you'll get is maybe one or two individuals will become a little bit more active. They might be out just for a short while. When you say they might be yeah. out just for a short while, yeah. you mean they, they, will they, leave, yeah. they will leave the area where they're hibernating yeah. and then they'll come back? Yeah, potentially. So it's a kind of a, a, a gradual yes. reawakening rather yes. than up you go and off to work, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, because people often say, oh, what happens when they all go into hibernation? Do they all, like, is it one evening, they, all the bats have decided this is the night we go into hibernation, but it doesn't really, the same, it's the same for the start and the end of hibernation. There's mm. no one specific trigger it's a gradual thing. More and more bats will gradually become active for a longer and longer period as the weather warms up. The last time I was talking to you, you were undertaking a study, bats and bugs. How has that been going? Yeah, so we actually wrapped up there in April with our, we launched uh, two nice animations, basically sort of highlighting some of the some of the results of the project. So yeah, we were really pleased. We had over 120 samples from all around the country where people elected to go into their bat roosts and um, use safely pick up bat droppings and send them to the lab in UCD. Bat poo. Bat poop, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an awful lot of information in bat poop. Well, tell us, <laughs> tell us then some of that information. What our, the researchers in UCD did then, they basically analysed the bat poo for DNA and they figured out what bat species was making it and also what the bats had been eating. Mm-hmm. So they found a lot of infor- uh, information. First of all, there were seven bat species that people had picked up the poo from. We found actually that a lot of them were mixed roosts, so where people sometimes thought they had just one species. In actual fact, from the poo, we realised there was maybe two or three species all in the same place. Uh, so that was an interesting finding. And what about the food that they were feeding on? 50% of the droppings had crane flies in them, which was a very interesting finding. Uh, crane flies, your listeners may know, are also called daddy long legs. And where they're of interest as a kind of a, a problematic insect is because, you know, they lay their eggs on soil and those eggs turn into leather jackets, mm-hmm. which are a major pest of winter barley. And also any gardeners will know them as a, a pain. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, gardeners yeah. and farmers would be happy for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really it was really interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of information James Nolan in UCD found out. He also he looked he looked at some of the differences between, say, for example, soprano pipistrels in one area where they were beside a lake that was slightly polluted and then another area where they were beside a lake that had fairly pristine water and found that actually they were eating insects that you'd associate with polluted water mm. and in the pristine area they're eating a diversity of insects that would be you know like you know your mayfly and stonefly that you would get in more pristine water and he suggested that this could be also used as a way to indicate what water quality and habitat quality is like in an area too so there's other uses yeah, I was you know, say, something it, like that it's amazing the mm. information that you yeah. can glean from a, a, a research project like that where you're literally just collecting yeah. bat poop yeah. and sending it into a lab yeah. and just to check in to see what's in the bat poop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's an awful lot of work now being done on things like eDNA, environmental DNA, you know, where people just take a sample of water from a stream mm. and find out what might be living there, you know. So um, it's not just being outdoors during the summer. Yeah. There's a lot of work done a indoors lo- in the winter. An awful lot is done in the winter, yeah, yeah. And more details, as always, can be found on our website, rte.ie forward slash